Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast helping wine students and wine enthusiasts alike to learn about all the wines of the world. I'm Matthew Gorn, and I'm a WCT certified educator, and in this podcast, I explore different wine regions and different grape varieties, and also interview producers from all around the world to explore the vast world of wine. A listener recently emailed me suggesting I should record some episodes on the wines of the Balkan states, and I thought that was a great idea. I was surprised I hadn't thought of it before. So the Balkan states include Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, Montenegro, Kosovo, and even Albania. And wines are made in all of these countries. They have had a very difficult history, particularly in the 20th century, which has meant that their wines have been neglected, not exported, really only for domestic consumption, but not necessarily of the highest quality. But that is changing. There are some really great wines being made in these Balkan states, and they are being exported. And so they are possible to find in the US and the UK, and maybe some other markets as well, maybe more in esoteric wine shops or restaurants. But they're well worth seeking out because there are some fantastic wines which are very individual um, to these different countries. And that's one of the exciting things about the wines of the Balkan states. They are different. Although there are some international grape varieties planted um, in the country, there are also some local grape varieties which just aren't found anywhere else. And winemaking can be um, quite traditional. So it's like going back to the past, but we're still with contemporary techniques which ensure the quality of the wine. Countries which are well worth um, trying, if you've never done so before. In this episode, I'm going to focus on Slovenia to start with. But first, just a quick overview of the history of these Balkan states. After the First World War, the country of Yugoslavia was created. There are many border decisions made after the First World War, which had long-term, often negative consequences and Yugoslavia was one of those which joined all of these countries together, uh, with the exception of Albania, which remained its own country. After the Second World War, Yugoslavia was under the communist rule of Marshal Tito, essentially a dictatorship. But in contrast to many of the Eastern European communist countries, there was an independence from Russia. So it wasn't part of the Soviet Union. Under Tito, it maintained its own identity and wasn't subsumed by um, the Russian or Soviet communist rule. And he held the country together through authoritarian dictatorship. But nevertheless, given the different cultures and religions of these different countries, it was he was very successful in maintaining the structure of Yugoslavia. He died in the ni- early 1980s and things began to fall apart afterwards. And when I was growing up in the 1990s, the news every day was the Yugoslavian civil war, which is one of the most bloodiest and most brutal civil wars even Europe had ever seen. And it was horrific, and it went on throughout the 1990s before peace finally emerged and the different countries um, declared their independence from each other. It's still not entirely settled, The status of Kosovo, for example, is still um, disputed. Until fairly recently, Macedonia was called the former Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia, because in Greece there is also a region called Macedonia, and so the name was heavily disputed, but the Greeks and the Macedonians have reached an agreement. Montenegro, for a long time, was connected to Serbia, and the country is called Serbia-Montenegro, and Montenegro is now independent. 
So even after the civil war, the transition to peace and independence has been difficult and still has and still raises a lot of um, emotional and political issues. And this uh, in part accounts for the reason that Balkan wines are quite hard to find because these are countries which have only recently become independent and territory is still disputed. And so it's not a stable situation although hopefully increasingly becoming more so. Uh, Slovenia and Croatia are members of the EU now. Uh, Serbia has applied, but it has not been accepted yet. It doesn't meet all the criteria to become an EU member. Another indication of the fact that the political and economic situation in these countries is not completely stable. But let's focus on Slovenia. Slovenia was the first country to declare independence in 1991. And those times were hopeful because it was a peaceful transition to independence. It wasn't disputed. However, the other countries, Croatia and Bosnia, in declaring independence is what sparked the um, huge civil war. But Slovenia, much more peaceful. And it, of all these countries, it has the strongest connection with the rest of Europe because it borders Italy and Austria. And there are very strong connections between Slovenia and Italy and Austria. And in fact, Western Slovenia really overlaps with Friuli in northeast Italy. In fact, there were winemakers in Western Slovenia on the border with Italy who owned vineyards actually in Italy. And so the border between Italy and Slovenia has changed several times over the course of history, meaning that locals there were often displaced. One minute they were in Italy, one minute they were in Slovenia. Those Grape growers and winemakers who had vineyards over the border in Italy had to sneak over the border during the night, working out which border controls were not actually um, attended by any officials, and farm the vineyards during the night and then sneak back over the border before dawn. So essentially, Friuli and Slovenia are a continuation of each other, separated only by a political border rather than any geographical differences. But there's a lot more to Slovenia than simply being a continuation of Friuli, because as you go inland, the, the climate becomes more continental. So there are three regions in Slovenia. Primorska is the coastal region, which is um, the region that's most connected to Italy. Pozavie, which is along the Sava River, and Podravie, which is along the Drava River. The latter two regions are more continental, and so different growing conditions for the grapes. In Slovenia, there's 21,500 hectares of plantings, but there are 29,000 growers. And so there are a lot of small holdings in Slovenia, so very fragmented. Again, not dissimilar to Italy and other European regions, but it does make um, making wine commercially difficult. There are only 2,000 of those growers actually bottling. So just to recap, over 21,000 hectares, 29,000 growers, just 2,000 bottling. Total production is 1 million hectolitres, of which only 10% is exported, which gives you an idea that why these wines are quite difficult to find. But there is a strong domestic market, but the market for Slovenian wine domestically and internationally is different. The domestic market, which is 90% of the sales, prefers medium dry white wines while almost all of the wine exported is dry. 
So the wines that we taste internationally are going to be a little bit different from the wines which are drunk domestically. However, tourism is important, which also adds to those domestic sales. And so maybe the styles of wine may become, might become drier and more international in their tastes, which could be a good thing or a bad thing, making them less or more distinct. In either case, 70% of wine produced in Slovenia is white wine, so both for domestic and international consumption. Rainfall is relatively high, between 800 to 1400 millimetres annually, although drought is becoming more of an issue. Spring frost can also be an issue, and hail as well, especially in the more continental climates. There are designations in Slovenia, so some words which I don't think you really see on international labels, but maybe if you're visiting the country you might see. Suho means dry, polsuho means medium dry, polsladko means medium sweet, and sladko means sweet. So if you see those terms, that's what they mean. Slovenia, as a member of the EU, follows the PDO designations. And so the term for PDO is, apologies for my pronunciation throughout this episode, is Zaštitejna označba porelka, or ZOP. And so that is the equivalent of PDO, so a designated origin. There is also a PGI designation, but this is rarely used, and that's called Geographska označba. So let's look at the three regions in Slovenia. Primorska has 8,000 hectares of plantings, and this is the one that's most connected with Fruli. And within Primorska is the region of Bruda, which is maybe the one you're most likely to find on a label. And that is essentially a continuation of Collio, with very similar winemaking traditions. In fact, one would say that Fruli is more influenced by Bruda than the other way round. Here the summers are hot, and the winters are mild. And there's an influence from both the Adriatic Sea, just as there is in Fruli, and also from the Alps as well. And so that helps cool conditions down in those hot summers. Different styles of wine made in Bruder. There's aromatic dry whites. Reds actually account for half of the production. Great varieties, there's Rubula, which is the same as Rubola Jaya. And this is made in every style, including orange, sparkling, and sweet. And so orange wine, or skin contact wine, however you want to term it, is very traditional in Slovenia, with skin contact, an historical way of making white wine to preserve the stability of the wine before modern wine techniques came in and still practiced in Slovenia. And so there may be a little bit of colour and tannic phenolics to the white wines, even if they're dry and white, but there's also orange wine made as well. And Rebolojaya can be quite useful for sparkling wine because it maintains acidity, but is quite neutral in its aromatics, which is also why it's used for skin contact wine, because that adds a bit of um, aromatic phenolic complexity to an otherwise neutral wine. And these styles have been extremely influential across the world. There's also Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, Sauvignon Blanc, which can be extremely high quality, just as it is in Fruli, and also Sauvignonas, which is called Frulano in Fruli. Another subregion is Viva Vasca Dolina, which is cooler. And here we have Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Sauvignon Blanc, and Ribolajaya again, but also some local indigenous varieties such as Zelen which produces crisp, dry whites, and which is quite an old, slightly obscure grape variety, which no one 
quite fully understands yet where it originated from. It's quite unique. And also Pinella, which is indigenous to both Slovenia and Fruli. Again, that connection between the two regions. There's only 50 hectares of Pinella planted. Then there's also the region of Kras, which is a limestone plateau above Trieste. So Trieste is in Italy and the, on the border. But this overlooks the city. And here we'll find Rifosco, which is also planted in Fruli. But in Slovenia, it will be labelled Taran. Now, Rifosco is quite a confusing grape variety because there are many variants of it. And this is the Slovenian variant. And then there's also Slovenska Istra, which is the warmest part of Primorska. Rifosco is planted here as well, and this is south of Trieste. And these wines are going to be quite spicy and relatively full-bodied. And there's also Malvasia Istarska, which again is also found in Fruli. So you can listen to my episode on Malvasia, because Malvasia is a family of grape varieties, not just one, and this is the local version. Then we have the region of Podravie, which is 8,900 hectares, and it's over the border from Austria. And so the Austrian region on the other side of the border is Styria, or Steiermark in German. And so whereas Primorska has a continuation and overlap with Fruli, Podravie has a continuation and overlap of Styria. And there are two subregions, Stajerska Slovenia and Primorkie. Uh, just 5% is red wine. In Stajerska Slovenia, we find Laji Riesling, which is Welsh Riesling. So relatively neutral in its aromatics, but maintains high fresh acidity. And I think wines from Welsh Riesling can be a lot of fun. Shipon, which is ferment, so we've also got a connection with Hungary. Renski Riesling, which is Riesling itself. Zivi Pinot, which is Pinot Gris. Dicheshi Tramanek, which is Gewürztraminer. Sauvignon Blanc. Rumeni Muscat, which is Muscat Petit Grand Blanc. Ranina, which is a grape variety called Bouvier which was discovered in northeast Slovenia by um, Charles Bouvier, hence its more common name, Bouvier, and that was discovered in the 19th century. It's a low-acid aromatic wine, which is, only has 40 hectares of plantings, but it's, it's used for breeding, so for um, developing other grape varieties. And there's also Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And there's also what is considered the oldest vine in the world, from Zamitovka, which is 400 years old. So that gives an indication of the history of winemaking and grape growing in Slovenia. In Premurkie is Modra Frankinia, which is Blau Frankish. So a grape variety common to Slovenia, Austria, and Hungary as well, where it's called Getfrankash. And plantings of that grape variety are increasing. So maybe some more red wine will be coming out of that region. And there's also sweet wine and ice wine made in Premurkie. The sweet wine classifications follow the German rules. So there's no cabinet classification, um, which is the same in Austria. Only Germany has that classification. So a Spätlaser is called Posner Trakutev. An Auschlaser called, is called Isbo. A Baron Auschlaser is called Jagni Isbo. An Eiswein is called Ledeno Vino. A Trockenbeeren Auschlaser is called Suhi Jagni Isbo. And the best sweet wines are made from Chipon, which is ferment, Lashki Riesling, which is Welsh Riesling, and Renskli Riesling, which is Riesling itself. 
So you can see, just thinking about this region, that there is a definite connection with Austria and Hungary, just trying to contextualize it. Then there's Pozavie, where there's 4,300 4, hectares. And here there are light blends called Metlischka Churina for white wine, Mizakulyan for sparkling white and red, and also Sishek, which is a light acidic red wine from the Dolenskia area of Pozavie. There's also Modra Franginia, which is Blau Frankish, and Muscat, which is called Bella Krajina. In the region of Bizelshel Shremik, there are bubbles made from the grape variety Rumini Plavek, which in Croatia is called Plavek Zuti, and this is a high acid variety and quite light bodied, so good for bubbles. And there's also um, other sparkling wine made from Zamatovka from the Dolenska region. And we also find um, muscat and sweet wines being made as well. So of all these regions, the sub-regions of Primorska are the ones that are most likely to be found internationally. But clearly there's a lot of variety uh, to Slovenia, with international varieties being planted, including Cabernet, Merlot, Sauvignon Blanc. That connection with Fruli and Ribola Jaya, and also the connection with Austria with Blau Frankish, and the connection with Hungary uh, with Ferment, all going under local um, names. But also indigenous varieties as well, including the 400-year-old vine from Zamatovka. So quite a varied country, lots of history, lots of tradition, but also lots of innovation. And the wines are extremely interesting and um, well worth investigating further. Apologies for my pronunciation throughout. I would recommend going to a US importer's website called Vinum, because they do have a pronunciation guide, not just for Slovenia, but all, for all the Baltic countries, which I think is quite useful, even if I have yet to master any of these languages. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. <laughs>